93.7 Express FM. Hello and welcome to another coronavirus special podcast. On the show this week, we spoke to leader of Portsmouth City Council, Gerald Vernon Jackson, on the potential of schools reopening in a couple of weeks' time. We were also joined by Director of Community Projects at Pompey and the Community, Claire Martin, uh, to talk about the work that Pompey and the Community are undertaking uh, throughout the pandemic. We had Pompey defender Christian Burgess on the show to talk about how he and the rest of the Pompey squad are uh, trying to help out those that are less fortunate than themselves. We also spoke to founding director of All Call Signs, SJ, a little bit later on about Mental Health Awareness Week and the impact that coronavirus is having on our mental health as well. As always, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can do. You can send me an email to robbie at expressfm.com and I will answer that any week on the show. If it's a question, a query or a concern, we will answer it in future weeks. Robbie at expressfm.com. Now we will start this evening with Councillor Gerald Vernon-Jackson. Part of the government's uh, gradual easing of lockdown, Education Secretary Gavin Williamson said the government were targeting June the 1st for year R1 and 6 to return to classrooms, followed by the remaining primary school children by the end of the month. However, a statement uh, recently from Portsmouth City Council's website from Cabinet Minister for Education Susie Haunton uh, stressed that parents should not send their children to school unless you have heard from your child's school that this will be possible and that arrangements are in place. She also reiterated that pupils will only return if the conditions are right to, uh, for them to do so. So to speak more on this, we're joined by Leader of Portsmouth City Council uh, who's been uh, is a regular on the show now, Gerald Vernon-Jackson. Gerald, evening to you. Good evening, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Um, let's. Uh, I think this is going to be one of our one of our main talking points uh, this evening, Gerald. We know that there's nothing definite about classrooms returning on the on the first of June, but is there a, is there a growing concern that we've not heard a lot more since last Sunday, and June is now only ten days away? Well, I think there are lots of questions, and um, 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 one of the big ones is that the government says they're going to announce. Um, what their final decision is on the 29th of, of May um, on a Friday evening and, and expect things to be up and running on the Monday morning. Um, and you, you've just got to give people more notice than that. Uh, I, I think where we're at at the moment is just to say we will support schools in the decisions they make and different schools will make different decisions because different schools are built differently. If you're a, a an infant school, and you've got to have all the kids back in year R and year one, you probably haven't got room to spread people out very far. If you're a through primary, then maybe you've got quite a lot more space that you can spread people out. So I think different schools are going to come up with different different answers about what's safe in their school. Uh, and our view is that we will support the schools in making that decision. So I suppose this is a this is a, a, quite quite different to a lot of the other issues that have come up because a lot of the time it's been a sense of um, of, of everyone taking a sort of a, a, a pretty standard approach. Everyone sort of yeah. going uh, with government guidelines. You think that this is going to be very individual to each school? Yeah, because in, schools are built differently. Mm. Um, so so trying to do social uh, social distancing in one school might be possible, but in another school it might not be possible. Um, and we've got to rely on the professional nature of, of teachers and head teachers to make those decisions about what's safe in their schools. So if there's two parents listening that, you know, what one one child goes to one school, one child goes to the other school, that, that they should 
that they shouldn't assume that all the schools will start at the same time. This could be sort of like a school, like a snow day type thing where some schools are off, some aren't. And each school will be in touch with with parents um, of of people, of kids who are pupils in their school, to tell them what their decision is and when they think it's going to happen. The feedback I'm getting from parents left, right, and centre is they won't be sending their kids back. Um, they are very uncertain about how safe things are, and therefore they want to make sure they keep their kids at home and keep them safe. And is that is that a concern that has been expressed by Portsmouth City Council to directly to the government? Because I know lots of councils yeah. in the UK have have sort of openly opposed the reopening. So we've not taken that line. So we're not taking an ideological line. What we're doing is just to say that we will back teachers. We will back the schools into the decisions they make because they know their school better. And and I think it's about trusting those teachers to make the right decisions. So you think the the schools can say no is what what you're saying? Yeah. If if the school says we cannot do this safely, Mm. this does not work in this school, then, then we've got to back that school and what they decide. They're the people who know the school. They know their kids better than than anybody else. Do you think? Do you think there's going to be some disparity though? That then, you know, as we look forward, as 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 different students we know progress at different yeah. rates. If schools are going back at different times, that you know, I I, I can't even imagine how muddly that must get for for things yeah, like higher will. education. No, it, it is going to be, and we and we just don't know how it's going to pan out. So what would you what what would you like from the from the government? Uh, is that a you'd like well, an announcement sooner than than uh, May the twenty ninth? I am. I, well, yes. I actually, I th- personally, I think they're they're going at this too fast. And um, personally, I think it is probably um, better that we should be still staying at home more um, as opposed to um, the staying alert slogan that they're currently using. So I'm I, I'm. I'm fairly cautious with this stuff, um, but but I think the absolutely important bit is that if we've got schools, we should trust the head teachers of those schools. We seem to uh, just to stick with that. We seem we seem to get we get a lot of messages about. Um, we seem to sort of follow follow the government's advice a lot, which of course we're all being yep. told to do. But a lot a lot of people seem concerned that the council isn't necessarily like, like you said, they isn't necessarily making it clear enough what concerns we have if, as we haven't ex- you know openly expressed our concerns with the co- government. Is it hard for it's hard for things to change? Surely, if we don't communicate our opinions. Oh, oh no, we communicate them with ministers absolutely loud and clear. Um, uh, and we talk to ministers on a regular basis, um, and they are left in absolutely no doubt of of how we think they're running this. So, so people needn't be worried about that at all. Um, but I think we're not keen to try to make COVID nineteen into a political football. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not going to do grandstanding statements of this, that, and the other. We will just work to make sure that we support families across the city as much as we can. This isn't the time to be doing party political punch bags. And what and, and what else are we going to see in the, in the in the coming weeks? Though, for, well, for... I think that the, the bit that that most people will be interested in is that on the first of June we're looking to um, bring back residents' car parking zones um, and uh, open the car park and and the pay for on the street car parking. First of um, June for that. First of June. Um, but we're also looking. We're also be uh, looking at closing some roads to give people more space to be able to to um, 
to either go on their bikes or to walk in a more socially distanced way. So um, we're going to be setting the road um, between well, Isambard, Kingdom Brunel Road, which is near the, the town station, mm. so that people can then walk down through Guildhall Walk and, and have Guildhall, Guildhall Walk closed as well, and, and Guildhall Square is already pedestrianised. Um, and also Charlotte Street um, up near um, Cascades, uh, which we need as a cycle lane, so that at the moment the cycle lane in and out of the city goes along the dot wall, but it's really, really narrow. Um, and therefore we want a second one so that people can cycle in and out of the city in a, in a safe way that is socially distanced. Um, and we're also going to be looking to take one lane out southbound on Eastern Road, uh, all the way from uh, the roundabout uh, at, um, at the where the, the motorway goes over down to Tangier Road, so that um, taking advantage of the reduced amount of traffic there is to to have one lane um, just for cyclists, so that we need more space on the pavement for pedestrians. Do you, the, the, uh, those are all. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that those will all be all be welcomed changes to, to residents of Portsmouth. But they're, of course, they're all short-term fixes. Do you think that we, are we likely to see in the future more uh, long-term, more permanent sort of cycle lanes? Yes, I think we'll look at how you can, um, in residential areas, look to make sure that roads aren't sort of through roads, so then they, they're not used as cut-throughs, and so that you can quieten most roads so that cyclists are, are safer and get people to drive on the bigger distributor roads um, uh, more so that um, if cyclists choose to cycle through a, a quiet residential area, it's a quiet residential area and they're not feeling at risk of traffic. Uh, and I think that things like that enable um, people to make the decision that they will leave the car at home more and cycle more. Sure. Okay. Just one one final point before before we let you go, Gerald. Um, what, what what could you bring us up to date with uh, the situation with both testing uh, and and also care well care homes in general, but care, the the testing that's going on in care homes. I know there's been. Uh, am I right in saying results have been delayed at, at the at the yeah. testing site in Tipner? Yeah, we've had some people saying it's taking a long time to get testing results. Um, uh, I I hope that that's getting better. Um, we seem to be making some progress on testing, and, and it's one of the things that that I think everybody's agreed on now that, that we didn't get that right at the beginning. So, um, I, but I'm pleased we got the testing centre down uh, at Tetna because uh, it makes makes life easier for for some people. Um, the the bit that I think is is really good is it the government's now agreed to do whole care home tests. So every care, so in a care home, you test everybody at once, all the staff and all the residents. And so we're trialling that in two council-run homes. Um, and I think that will mean that it's much easier for people to know how we've got to treat individuals uh, who are residents, whether they need to be in isolation or not, um, and how to make we, we know if staff are well and therefore can can work or not well, at which point they need to go home and not infect other people. So so I think that's the biggest step forward we've had this week. Okay, and and, and we'll see more of that, I assume, in the next next yeah. in the coming weeks? Yeah, so we've got 39 care homes in the city. Yeah. Um, and 
in some it's easier than others to work because some of them are new, modern, purpose-built. Lots of them are just in converted Victorian houses. It's not ideal. <laughs> it's, not ideal. it's pretty, but it's not ideal. Yeah. Well, Gerald, thank you so much for once again for your time. As always, we really do appreciate it on the show this evening. Thanks for chatting to us. No problem. And, and do keep well and keep safe. Passionately Portsmouth, 93.7 Express FM. Pompey and the community affiliated with Portsmouth Football Club, of course, is a charity that offers sports co- uh, and coaching, educational programs, and of course, runs the Junior Blues. Uh, and it's a time that charities at the moment, just like these, are working harder than ever to find ways to serve the community that they need it most. To talk about the work they're doing, we've got Director of Community Projects on the phone, uh, Claire Martin. Claire, evening. Hello. How are you? How are things? Yeah, busy. Ridiculously busy, to be honest. But, um, yeah. Well, I want to know, how much are you, um, how much at the moment is Pompey in the community having to sort of adapt to the work you do? Or, or has it just sort of, in, in a strange sort of way, made the work you currently do even more vital? I think it's made us realise how important what we do is to the city and how being linked to Pompey is is just infinitely valuable um a lot of our coaching work obviously has stopped completely Mm. so the majority of our coaching staff are furloughed um so they're now virtually all volunteering for the hive the hive i think most people in portsmouth have heard of is a um a voluntary organization that's coordinating the covid response for the city so we've opened up our offices they are now the main store for the food distribution for the city um, we've been using Victory Suite of Fratton Park. We've got access to the fridge. The Navy have given us a big freezer unit. Um, so we've got a mass of volunteers basically responding to whatever the need is in the city, distributing food um, and care packages and any other items that, that are needed anywhere in the city, really. Well, I know that you've been doing a lot of work with, um, of course, Christian Burgess, one of the Pompey players. We're going to chat to a little bit later on the show about the work that he's been doing uh, with the Hive. How did it? How did it sort of come about? Was there was there any form of sort of uh, contingency plan before this that you knew that you and, and sort of the Hive might work together in the future? How's it been? How's it sort of progressed? Um, I think initially, um, in that first sort of day when everything was closing down, we were almost like, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do now? Mm. And had a little bit of a panic. Um, and the first day was a bit of a meltdown. Second day, literally, the one of the Hive employees just picked up the phone and said, you've got a fleet of vans. Will you be using them? Is there any way that we can work together? And it just evolved from there. I mean, we're very much joined up with um, the third sector and other charities and all sorts in the, in the um, city anyway. So it was sort of a natural progression. We just didn't realize quite how big it was going to get quite so quickly. Um, and then Christian is a trustee of Pompey in the community. So he obviously attends all of our trustee meetings and he's very involved. So again, you know, with... Um, with that side of things, it was very much Christian just picking up the phone saying, can we get involved? Um, and he's just you know, sort of been the conduit between uh, the squad and ourselves. And it's not just the players themselves that are involved. It's also um, staff from the football club. Tanya and Violence has been volunteering. Um, Kev the kit man picked, does all sorts of pickups and things for us in his van. Alan Knight's been volunteering virtually every day. Um, one of the security guards there, when he's off and not on shift, he comes and volunteers. So it's been a real joint effort, absolutely everybody. And I think every time I pick up the phone to the club and say, can I? They've almost said yes before we even ask the question, as long as it's you know safe and doable. So, yeah, complete Pompey family just 
sort of motivated and, and trying to do all that we can um, whilst trying to keep Pompey in the community alive and well and ready to you know, deliver back as soon as we can. Well, I'd like to come on to come on to that in just a second about um, the the importance of when things do do start up. But just for now, what what sort of tell us about what you are channeling your resources towards? So you, you mentioned that you've got sort of a big storage space. You've got uh, you've got the vans and things like that. What's the sort of the main aim at the moment, or is it changing day on day? Um, um, the, the hives basically are taking referrals for all sorts of things. So whatever the need is, they're doing all of the pharmacy deliveries through one organisation. So people who, who can't get out or haven't got any money to buy food, phone the hive and say, you know, I'm in desperate need. And then we put a food parcel together. Um, and then that goes out to that person or that family for the week. Um, it can be baby nappies. It can be baby milk. It can be sanitary items. Um, and we're just sort of responding to the need. But the most incredible thing is the way that the rest of the community has come together. The Queen's Hotel are cooking 150 meals three times a week that go in some of the food parcels. Um, PMC, the big club sponsor, are purchasing fresh fruit and vegetables to go into the food parcels. Lamport Community Centre, um, you may have seen the players cooking with them. They're doing a whole sort of... Um, opening their kitchens, using a lot of donations uh, to create meals. They're actually moving that um, into our kitchen classroom next week because obviously Lamport is, is closed other than the kitchen and we're open and not using our kitchen, so it makes sense to combine the two. Um, and then donations are coming in. We're taking a massive amount of donations from, um, in fact, today, Brittany Ferries. You know, they, they're obviously not running as many um, ships, if any, so all of their sort of chocolate stores and things have come in so we can then include that in food packages. Um, the Akash cooked um, curries that have gone in the food packages. The players themselves actually have made donations um, and put together care packages for our wheelchair using um, season ticket holders. Mm -hmm. So those um, players took those out to fans last week. Um, so it's been a real sort of joint effort. Um, we've put in a few funding bids. The Hive have put in a few funding bids and the city council are obviously having to purchase some of this food because, um, you know, it, it's all got to come from somewhere. Well, I, I wanted to talk about that because there's, just listening to you explain it there, there's so many different elements and it's such a, I mean, it's an, an amazing thing just to listen to to how many people are, are sort of finding ways of chipping in and doing their little thing. How How long do you think that this will go on for and and do you think that this will also that this is sort of a sustainable thing and you think from now on this is how communities will work and they will work a lot closer together these different organizations helping each other out oh, i think it will evolve um we've actually noticed a change already to start with it was very much taking food to people who were isolated um and you know sort of shielding whereas now it's moved to people who genuinely have either lost jobs and just genuinely can't afford to buy food so i think it's going to evolve more into a sort of poverty response rather than a, a necessarily a covid virus response um you know i think pompey is is probably as a city more joined up than most you know i'm part of a food bank app we've run um um, through our kitchen classroom, a sort of food waste and, and small food parcels for some of our clients and things that we work with anyway. So it's just sort of got a lot bigger to what we normally do. But there's always that need in the city. Um, and I think it's just working slightly more publicly at the moment. The food banks are still busy. You know, they're much busier than they've ever been. A lot of the churches have had a call to action. But whereas the soup kitchens and the meals for the homeless and those who are really vulnerable can't operate in the same way. So everybody's just had to change the way they work in order to respond. And obviously the homeless are now rehoused 
um, temporarily, um, they're all being fed as well. So a lot of the donations and bits that are going in to help um, keep those people, you know, well fed and, and looked after as well. So it is a massive response from the city. So it will continue. As far as how long, it obviously depends on, like everything else, you know, whether there's a second spike, whether we have to, you know, if we go back into lockdown or, or are more strict, then we'll have to probably up things again. Yeah. Um, otherwise, we're probably looking to start delivering in the community again, probably not until September properly, um, if we're lucky enough to be able to do that. Um, we are still in a few schools, so we've got some of our coaches volunteering in schools. Some um, are still actually working in schools with the key workers, um, but primarily um, that side of things is sort of like a lot of other things stop completely at the moment. Mm. We've, we've, yeah, sorry, we've moved a lot online. So a lot of our activities and sessions for children, we've got online provision. So there's still competitions and youth boards and chance to sort of talk and, and um, share ideas and take part in FIFA tournaments. And um, Domino's pizzas have been brilliant. They provide prizes and things and, and give us um, pizzas couple of times a week that we can utilize um, either in the food parcels or for prizes for kids and things so that's that's been great too it's phenomenal that, that you're still able to go with with so many services now that's what I was going to come on to because of course um, Pompey in the community we, we know it for doing so many things and one of those is is the educational aspect I know that you have um, educational programs that you'd sort of deliver to over I think it's 8,000 students um, annually and and that that is something that has been has been talked about a little bit more in the last couple of weeks of course we've had so much talk about you know professional football and professional sport and when that's going to start up and the effect that that'll have have on professional athletes what what effect do you see this happening on having on grassroots sport and grassroots sort of uh from a, from the sort of educational point of view and the skills point of view oh i think it's going to have a real impact i think it you know it it takes what they say five weeks to to make a habit mm. and you break a habit a lot quicker so um one of our concerns is that you know when we do go back that people will have become used to being less active and doing, you know, less activity, and that will continue. I know some people have become a lot more active, but um, for a lot, you know, whether they will pick up in the same way, we just we just don't know. Um, Educationally-wise, we still run our BTEC program, so that as soon as lockdown, same as all the other schools, that went online. So all of our young people are being taught um, remotely. We've got our degree program that's still continuing remotely, um, so all of that is, is still going on. Uh, as far as our sort of grassroots and development teams, you know, um, my lad plays in our under-14s and we had a we had a Zoom quiz and things on Monday to keep them in. They've been sent training programs to try and keep them fit and active and feel like, you know, there's something exciting waiting around the corner. But, you know, we're looking that, yes, we'll start and it will be very similar to as it was, but just perhaps a little bit of a delay in getting the season started. But... I'm not 100% sure, but I think after um, all of this, getting people fit and active again is going to be massive, um, which takes us on to another project, which is Manifields and developing the pitches there and making sure that we can provide that facility for the city, mm. um, which is going to be even more challenging, finding that money, I think, in the current climate. But that's just something that, as a city, we've really got to do because... You know, we've got such a shortage of facilities and places for young people and older people, anybody, to go and train that um, 
will be of a sort of class that, that that will be once we get that done. Well, just just finally, before we let you go then, Claire, what, what advice would you give to sort of parents at the moment that um, that, that are worried about, about their kids losing that sort of the competitive aspect? Because obviously you can do exercise at the moment, but in terms of team sports, football, of course, is what is a sport, which is perfect for, uh, for working together. What advice would you give to parents at the moment that maybe are, are trying to keep that in the, within, their, within their children? Um. I think just get your kids talking. I think talking is the one thing that's absolutely vital at the moment. So whether, you know, they pick up the phone to their mates, whether they, you know, train when they're on a Zoom call, whether they're just, you know, doing something together at the same time. People are watching films together mm. and talking about it whilst they're on the phone. And I think that's the most important thing because I think every everybody feels that they're on their own at the moment. And I think just that little bit of interaction makes them feel that everybody's going through the same thing. Um, and you're right, it's, you know, football and, and those sports are competitive. And when you're on your own and there's no one that you feel that you're competing with, you know, or I think FIFA online, it's only, you know, it's only a game. But yeah. actually just that interaction and that sort of buzz is so, so important. Um, you know, my lad plays for two different teams and he's ball boy at Fratton Park and he's this and he's that. And, and it's like half of his life has just been sort of sucked away at the moment. But um, it's just trying to keep him engaged and enthusiastic and happy. And I think a lot with the learning, if it becomes a battle, then I think keeping them happy and keeping them positive is, is probably the most important thing that we can do at the moment. Absolutely. Well, Claire, thank you so much for, um, for everything that you and everyone at Pompey and the community are doing, along with Hive and everyone uh, as well that's playing such a key part in keeping our community going. We, we really do appreciate it. And please pass on our, our gratitude to everyone that is doing such a wonderful job. Thank you. Will do. Director of Community Projects at Portsmouth, uh, Pompey in the Community, that is Claire Martin. To find out more about the work they do, just head to pompeyitc.co.uk. And one of those players who's going above and beyond uh, to play a different part in the community than defending the Pompey goal uh, is Blues centre-back Christian Burgess. Evening, Christian. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thank you. How are how are things with you? First of all, what's what's happening in your world? How's how's life? Yeah, fine. Um, just taking each day as it comes. Uh, waiting to hear some news, and I'm trying to keep fit. Well, of course, that's a it's a difficult thing to be doing at the moment. We've just been speaking to Claire Martin from from Pompey and the community, who, of course, you know well, and talking about the sort of the competitive aspect of, of football and how that's um, it's difficult to try and find those sort of those little fixes that you get through through a competitive sport like that at the moment. But of course, many many professional athletes finding different ways to stay busy, and and you're you're finding one which uh, which is keeping you busy, but also benefiting the community, as it sounds. Yeah, it's uh, just a great opportunity to use some of, some of the time that we have um, to try and you know have a positive impact, really. And uh, the guys down at PITC and down at the Hive and you know, numerous other charities have been fantastic. So it's been a pleasure, really, to be involved. And was it was it something that you you sort of instantly decided uh, that you wanted to help out with, or was there any sort of form of communication from from people towards you asking for help before? How did that sort of work? How did it all begin? No, I think um, obviously when lockdown um, happened, you know, there were some obvious issues that would affect people. And it was just about trying to see how, um, you know, we could help at the club and the players as well were, were interested to try and get involved. Um, and they were keen. And, you know, I reached out to Claire um, and they were more than happy to try and get us involved and, um, yeah, do something good, I suppose. 
And of course, I, 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 I guess when when you do do a th- do a, a profession like you do, and and you you play for a team like Portsmouth, and you get to experience the the community firsthand, sort of week in week out, or or up until the last few months, you've been able to. You, I suppose, you understand how how invested the community is with with the club and uh, and and with coming to watch you every every week. And and has that sort of been something that has been nice to be a part of in a different form as to being on the pitch? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the, the old classic sort of giving something back. But, yeah. um, you know, everybody at Portsmouth understands how big the football club is at the city. How much support we get is just unparalleled at this level. Um, and, you know, it's a joy to play in. And, you know, to be a part of the community is just a pleasure for, for all of us. Um, so it was just sort of the first thing that came into our minds was how, how we could help really and, and do something positive. Why? Why do you think it is such a big? It is such a big part of of everyone's life. And why? Why do you think that Pompey have come together as as well as they have? Because there are there are so many people from so many different sort of aspects of the community that are helping each other out at the moment. And and I mean, it is going on around the around the country. But it feels like in Pompey, it's it's almost on a on another another level. Do you, can you can you find any reason yeah. why that is? It's hard to put your finger on it. Um, I think you know the island feel to Portsmouth. Um, the sort of community spirit that, that is here and, uh, you know, everybody's proud to sort of live here. I know I am. I am. It's just a wonderful place to be. So you get that feeling of uh, togetherness, I guess. Um, and I suppose, you know, from especially the, the football club's point of view, when the fans owned the club, it gave everybody an immense pride that, that they saved uh, the football club. Um, and it was a huge effort from from so many fans you know so many people within the community and i think that's probably added to that feeling uh, and from from a player point of view does does that is that sort of reflected reflective within the squad and is that something that you you're all aware of in terms of the sort of the the big community feel of course, i mean of course we know that you are and we see all the wonderful work that you're doing but is there a sense that uh, that, that sort of pompey is that the players really are part of the community as a squad yeah, I think I think um, when everybody signs here, they quickly realise, you know, the size of the club and what it means to the supporters, um, and that is just uh, like you know a great privilege, but also a massive inspiration to, to try and be successful mm. um, if 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 anybody needed it. And uh, I think the more you play your football here, the longer you're here, you just build and you know the more sense of community and. Um, like a family, the the club uh, feels like. I mean, I'm interested to know as well about how 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 do you sort of you feel at the moment, Christian, about going. You know, the fact that you're out and about and you're doing. You know, I, I presume you are seeing quite a lot of vulnerable people, and um, and of course, you know, sort of getting a first hand view. How how safe do you feel outside at the moment, and how how do you feel around uh, the areas that you're having to go to? Yeah, I mean, I feel pretty safe. We take necessary precautions. Um, you know, we have some PPE um, mm. through through the, the various charities, um, and whether that's donations or you know provisions from from elsewhere. So you know, we always do everything we can to prevent the risk, um, keep our distance. Uh, you know, wear protective equipment when you're dropping off packages. Um, so it's not saying danger, you know, the vulnerable that you're helping. Um, so I think we're doing everything that we can, and and I certainly feel like um, 
you know, pretty safe. Uh, I think the guys that I've worked for, um, you know, PITC, the Hive, have, have been great in making sure we have everything that we need. So um, for me, it's, it's been fine. There's, there's been no issue really for that. And we we have to quickly mention as well the um, there was an am- amazing video a couple of week uh, weekends ago of of you driving a tank uh, d- down the street in Pompey, which I think gave uh, gave a few people a surprise. Can you can you tell us about that important mission you had to you had to go on? Mission. <laughs> That's what um, it looked like. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, you know, it was just uh, an, an idea. Um, that it was actually over in Halen, so it was the guys over in Halen. Uh, had where I've been sort of delivering some prescriptions and as a special sort of thing for VE Day, um, the chemists all got together and chose some people who were around during VE Day um, to receive a sort of special uh, delivery, if you like, yeah. um, in an armoured personnel carrier. So it was great to be a part of, um, you know, really cheered some people up. And um, yeah, I think, you know, the, the chemists also delivered cream teas with it to sort of be in the spirit and it was it was fantastic, yeah. It's a it's a wonderful job you're doing. It re- it really is, and we we um we all want to express our our gratitude and our thanks to you. And 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 ha- just quickly before we let you go, how how do you how do you how do you feel about the season restarting? Because you you're a busy man now. You might not have time. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I'll get to settle down again. Um, but no, if possible, it would be great. There's been a lot of work going into the season. Um, you know, I think as long as it's safe, we're, we're all very keen to, to start it at Port, Portsmouth. And uh, I'm like everybody else, really, just sort of waiting on decisions to be made by the, the league and, and the clubs involved. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm eager to learn. But obviously, I realise, you know, you need to be patient and just trying to keep us as ready if we're called upon to restart. Sure. Well, I, we, we wish you all the very best when it when and uh, when it does restart, Christian, and uh, on the field and off the field as well. And, and once again, a big, a huge, huge thank you for everything that you're doing for the for the community. And uh, you're doing a wonderful job. So keep it up and thank you. Thanks, Robbie. The, you know, the real heroes are all the guys who are volunteering, you know, down at the various charities and putting all the hard work. I just go along at the end and steal the credit. So, yeah, <laughs> don't forget all those guys. Absolutely. Here, here to that. Christian, thank you for your time on the show this evening. We appreciate it. Take care. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Express FM. Mental Health Awareness Week has come at a time where many of our minds are having an intense feed of thoughts and emotions. Uh, So we're going to talk about that right now with uh, founding director of All Call Signs. Of course, the peer support group uh, organization are All Call Signs for veterans and serving military personnel. Uh, They have over 500 volunteer listeners uh, with experience of life in uniform as well as digital caseworkers to arrange the support and care pathways for hundreds of users seeking help with mental ill health. We got the founding director of All Cool Signs, SJ, on the line. Hi, SJ. Hi, thank you very much for having me. It's nice to have you back on. Um, in, in, a strange, in a strange way, uh, has Mental Health Awareness Week come at a time where it's probably going to help people maybe more than ever? Well, it couldn't have come at a better time, really, could it, with everything else that's going on? I think everyone's uh, getting to grips with their own mental health at the moment, adjusting to lockdown and the idea of coming out of it. So I think, yeah, timing's been perfect. It's strange because when we when we when we spoke at the, uh, I think it was one of the first coronavirus specials we did, and it was it was right at the start of just before lockdown uh, lockdown happened, and there there were a lot of unknowns, and and there still are a lot of unknowns, but we kind of 
we kind of know the unknowns a bit more, if you know, if that makes sense. And we, we know things are going to change a bit more long term instead of just day on day, although things are still changing day on day. And, and how's that sort of that? That's quite a difficult obstacle for us to come over. It's a new barrier, isn't it? Yeah, that lack of certainty in anything is a breeding ground for mental illnesses. It's, um, it can make you very anxious. It can increase feelings of depression, loneliness and isolation and things like that. Um, so it's really important to kind of take that time and explore your mental health and make sure that you're keeping on top of stuff and doing things that you can do at home or actually from anywhere to just increase your, your resilience to these transitions. And when you say sort of become more sort of resilient to it and uh, and look after yourself, what what sort of are the tangible things that you you're talking about? What should we sort of how do we learn more about our mind, if that makes sense? I think you start off. I mean, there's there's lots of different apps and things out there like Headspace around meditation and wellness and things to kind of increase your well your feeling of well being. Mm. But I think the first thing that we need to do is kind of accept what's within our control at the moment and what isn't. There is so much going on and it's on such a high level. You know, the prime minister's in how many meetings a, a day trying to figure out what this landscape looks like for us over the coming months. Um, if they're struggling to find a solution there's really very little that we can do on kind of a minute level uh, between ourselves to try and kind of figure all of this out. You know, this is all being done on such a massive scale. So allow yourself to a bit of a break, be easy on yourself, be kind to yourself and accept that, yeah, you might not have all the answers, but actually nobody does at this time. So it's just about doing things in your day-to-day, in your immediate life for you, for your family and friends uh, to increase your feelings of wellness. And that that's another interesting you you pick up on helping out our family and our friends and and, we, and a thing that we've mentioned a lot in the last few weeks is how important it is to just sort of look after your patch because obviously if we try and if we try, if we try and imagine, uh, try and help the world then then we're we're probably going to go a bit mad and if we try and help the country we're probably just going to go a bit mad if we just focus on our patch and I suppose that's something that people need to is that something that people learn to do. I think that comes out in, it's a very British thing in a time of crisis, isn't it, to look after you and yours. Mm. Um, And I think that's exactly how we need to do it. If you look after the people to yourself and the people to the left and right of you, and everybody else does the same, then everybody's being looked after. So it's, uh, you know, it's important to look after your local community and do everything that you can uh, within your power. But there's things that just remember to put your yourself at the forefront of that. You know, your own mental health is the priority, making sure that you're feeling well and that you're remaining positive and that you're doing things to kind of manage your own mind is probably the biggest priority for everyone at the moment. And I've, I, we've had a lot of messages and I've, I've spoken to a lot of a lot of people that I know in general that are, that are uh, they feel okay in themselves, but it's the it's the lack of ability to sort of to help their friends and to be there for people that maybe are struggling a little bit more because obviously we can't you can't necessarily go and see them and you, and so many people so many people have said I just want to be able to give my mate a hug who's going through a really difficult time or whatever and and that that's that's something that's uh, an obstacle. How how would you advise people get over get over being able to well not being able to physically help people? I mean, firstly, isn't that lovely that in a time of crisis, kind of people's first uh, thought is for other people and how they Mm. can help other people. I think it's really brilliant and it really shows the character of the British people at the moment. Um, Just remember that just because you can't physically be there for someone doesn't mean that you can't be there. Um, We live um, very different to any other kind of 
plague or anything else or virus or anything that's gone round in the sense that we have the technology now to remain in almost 24-7 contact all of the time with pretty much anyone anywhere in the world. So rely on those technology platforms, whether that's Facebook, Messenger, WhatsApp, Zoom, uh, video chats, whatever it is. Um, just make sure that you're you're checking in on the people that you're concerned about. And remember that if you have any serious concerns about someone's mental well-being, that there are resources still out there, still working. You know, key workers still going to work every day to ensure that the proper structured support is in place. And, and what advice would you give to, to those people at the moment that, are, that are, you know, are, are experiencing really difficult times? We had a we had a story just in Portsmouth just last week of a of a of a wonderful young man called George who had a uh, a really difficult time. Um, was was feeling really sort of under the weather with, with his life, and uh, he reached out to sort of people on social media, and 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 one of the Pompey players, John Marquis, got in touch with him and gave him a phone call, and 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 sort of per, it was a it was a real epitome of what just a chat to someone can do what what would you what advice would you give to people that are in that horror in that sort of dark place at the moment yeah i mean our motto at all call signs is talking helps and it could not be more true mm. in the current climate um, if you are feeling low if you're having feelings um, of low mood if you're struggling with anxiety depression uh, or any of the above or or even if you're just really struggling with the idea of just being indoors for an increased amount of time um mm. Do get in touch with your family and friends. Do talk openly and honestly about the way that you're feeling. Um, and if you find that it is getting to a point where you need some kind of structured help, um, then there are plenty of organisations out there still working. So Positive Minds within Portsmouth um, is an organisation set up through uh, the NHS and Solent Mind um, that is specifically there to help you um, kind of get a grip of your headspace. So, and they're still working just as they were before lockdown. So, uh, easily findable on Google, uh, contact details and things like that. Definitely worth getting in touch with if you're struggling. And, and just finally, before we let you go, SJ, how do you how do you think in the future, um, uh, the sort of. Mental Health Awareness Week, of course, um, the, there's there's so much that goes on in that week, and it's and it's fantastic, and we and we it's such a brilliant, brilliant thing to champion. But how much do you think it, sort of the way the world is at the moment, and the, what we're living through at the moment? How much do you think that in the future, in the in the, in the coming weeks and months and years, this will change our brains and change the sort of maybe how on edge we are and our our, our sort of our natural anxiety levels? Well, I mean, people are, are probably going to have just as much issue adjusting coming out of lockdown as they did going in. Mm. Um, you know, things are changing constantly. And then when we go back out into the big wide world, we've got to somehow remember how everything worked before we went. Bearing in mind that if people have been kind of isolating from before we went into official lockdown, we've had people that haven't properly left their homes for more than an hour a day for three months. That's a seriously long period of time for your brain to adjust to these new settings um, and take this as the new reality, only to have that undone again when things start to go back to normal. Although uh, it will be slightly different on the way out because things will be phased. So we will have time to get used to kind of being back out and being allowed to go places again. Um, but again, it, it all comes down to just being kind to yourself. If we've seen anything from kind of uh, previous examples of, of trauma or, or mental ill health, as we come out of the other side of these things, secondary uh, mental illnesses and things start to come to the fore. So just remember to be really, really kind to yourself. Give yourself the time to adjust back to normal life. Don't feel like just because if 
Boris Johnson announces that the lockdowns lift tomorrow, don't feel like that means you have to run into the street and hug everybody you see, you know. There's there's so many different ways that you can adjust yourself. And unlike where we went into lockdown and that was something that was imposed upon us, the release of that lockdown is very much up to us at the speed at which we return to normal. So make sure that you give yourself the time to adjust accordingly. I love the phrase you use there of be kind to yourself, a, a, a fantastic phrase and uh, certainly one that, that I hope people will, will take away with them. Listen, SJ, we, we really appreciate you chatting to us, mate, and uh, and, and give our best to, to everyone, uh, all cool signs as well, and uh, take care of yourself. We will do. You too, Robbie. Founding Director of All Cool Signs, that is uh, SJ on the coronavirus special. And as SJ referred to there, as many of us uh, adjust to working from home as our new normal, flexible working requests post-lockdown are expected to soar, uh, with research for Slater and Gordon showing a third of people believe that they are more productive working remotely. Our reporter Stuart Buchanan has more on this story, speaking to uh, Danielle Parsons, the employment lawyer at Slater. Later and Gordon. So, Daniel, I guess one of the main things that people are wondering is how are working arrangements exactly going to be altered by this period of lockdown? I think there's going to be no return to normal for quite some time. I expect working arrangements to be completely changed by lockdown. I mean, our research suggests that more than half of UK workers want to work from home when they need to going forward, and a third want to ask for a new flexible working arrangement. I think having a work-life balance is a dream, but not the reality for many employees. And I think change here is really needed on this. And our research shows as well that it's a concern for many people that they do want to spend more time with their families. And nearly half of dads surveyed, 43%, said that they're now considering reducing their hours or taking jobs closer to home so that they can spend more time with their family and taking on additional parenting. And I think that could be a really positive development that we see emerging from this crisis. Absolutely. And people are getting used to this, as we said, this sort of new normal. After all this is over, do you think perhaps traditional offices and workplaces might be a thing of the past? I think they really could be. And it was interesting to actually see in the news this week that the boss of Barclays in particular, Jez Staley, he has said that they're actually going to take steps to reduce their business premises out in Canary Wharf. I think if you think about it, a business premises is a huge cost. It's probably the main cost that most businesses have. And I think moving forward, both employees and employers are most likely going to want to move towards flexible working, perhaps looking at making greater investment in IT and reducing their use of office space moving forward and perhaps actively encourage greater remote and flexible working because there could be a real cost saving in this. And I think our research shows that I think that would be a really positive development. But obviously some people might be thinking when we go back to what, ever resembles normal after this, they might return to that normal office workplace. Is there any room for manoeuvre? Well, I think the starting point for any employee and any employer is always the contract of employment. By all means, if you're thinking about making a flexible working request, a good place to start is looking at your contract, seeing what that says, looking at any staff handbook to see what policy might already be in place at your company. 
And employees with more than 26 weeks of service can make a statutory request for flexible working. And how they would do that is normally they would write to their employer who must then consider their request within three months and make a decision. And if both sides agree, their contract of employment can be changed. But if there's a disagreement, then there could be a potential legal claim arising from this, in which case it's very important to take legal advice immediately and as soon as possible. So what else has this Slater and Gordon research shown us in terms of job fulfillment and work satisfaction at the moment? I think that our research has showed that there's actually a really poor level of job satisfaction. And I think in terms of the coronavirus crisis, people have been thinking about, well, what's really important to me? And our research suggests that 22% of people think that their current role is pointless. 34% have felt helpless throughout the crisis. And 47% want to really look at helping their community. And these people don't feel that they have this in their current role. And I think this is really sad because we spend so much of our time and our lives at work. I'm a claimant employment lawyer, and I feel really strongly that people should have safe places to work in where they feel that they're valued and they enjoy their work and it fulfills them. Of course, and there's a lot to think about and a lot of time for people to think about it right now. From your perspective, what kind of a shift do you see in the world of work once the lockdown has been fully lifted? Well, what I've been hoping throughout this crisis is that we don't see lots of sudden knee-jerk redundancy situations. But I think that we've all come to terms with the fact that many organisations are unfortunately making redundancies. And I think that that would be a concern for many. But I expect that a lot of people will, as I say, be very interested in seeking flexible working and will look to try and reduce their time spent commuting and try to spend more time at home with their families. And I think that this will become very important. And I think there will be a greater interest for both employees and employers in remote working, flexible working, and potentially people might look to work part time and to get a better work-life balance generally. Absolutely. So, Danielle, if people want to find out about this research that we've been discussing or if they want any tips and advice on how to handle their current employment situation or looking forward to what they might consider in the future, where would you recommend they go to? You can go along to our website, slatergordon.co.uk. We've got a really useful coronavirus hub, which you can go on to find information about your rights in relation to the coronavirus situation. We've got a lot of resources on there around furlough, around redundancy, and around flexible working also. A big thank you to all of my guests for joining me this week. Of course, if you have a question or a query uh, that you would like answering on future episodes of the coronavirus special, you can Email me anytime, robbie at expressfm.com and the coronavirus special returns once again on Wednesday from 6 o'clock.